the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. I am. Bora Bora part three. Can you believe it? This is already the most upset I've ever been to leave a vacation. I know. I, I know I said it last week, but you guys, we will just never get this content again. And it's something we all have to come to terms with. I had so much fun in Bora Bora that I literally lost my voice. <laughs> okay. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but when Julie came on to record today, and we haven't seen each other for like a week, I literally think it's the only week we haven't been together this entire year. I was so thrown off. Like, I, I don't know why it sounds so different to me. Does, do you think it sounds that different or is it just me? I think it sounds different, but I also really like it. So like if people listen to this episode and they're like, wow, I love Julie's voice this episode. Like I'll probably stand outside and start like screaming to strain my voice because I feel like that episode of Friends where Phoebe has her like sexy, sick voice. I like it too. I don't dislike it. I was just so thrown off. I was like, wait, who's that? We also literally have not spoken at all this week because you decided to go skiing randomly. I didn't even know you could ski. All of a sudden you're gone for a fucking week and I haven't heard from you. So like, I think that, I honestly think my voice would have sounded a little weird to you regardless. Well, yeah, it's like two things. I go skiing in a remote location with no cell service. The entire Vanderpump Rules universe explodes and you have a totally different voice. It's a lot for me to come back to, I think. I think I just wanted attention. (laughs) Were you feeling neglected? No, I just like, there's a lot going on in Bravo and I like needed a thing. Like I didn't have a thing with Bravo. So I just like lost my voice to get attention. Okay. So episode 12, it's the last one in Bora Bora. And main themes here are Kim and Rob fighting. Rob in general, just really trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life and kind of struggling with where he's currently at. Rob and Chris Humphrey's dynamic as a result of Rob and Kim's kind of fighting. Courtney and Scott continuing to go through it. And then of course it ends with Caitlin and Chris's vow renewal. The way we did it is more so by topic than scene by scene, but I really would like to start with Rob. Me too. I actually have so much to say here. This was like the meat of the episode for me. Okay. So you really have to watch this episode just to see how Rob's fight goes down specifically with Kim, because no way that we're going to explain it is going to do it justice. But basically the entire theme here is that Rob is just not in a good place with himself. Like he is not feeling good about what he's doing, where he's at. And the rest of the family not only picks up on that, but also feeds into it in terms of criticizing him, making fun of him. And I think that where he's at currently, like he just couldn't handle that. You know, there may be formerly playful banter. He didn't have the capacity to allow for it to be playful in this moment because he was already struggling so much that any of these kind of joking throwaway comments that Kim would make or Courtney would make about him needing to get out of Chloe's guest house and him kind of not having a job, not having any money of his own, being a loser. He didn't have the ability to allow it to roll off his back because he was, I think, in such like a self-loathing phase at the moment. And so what you see go down in this first fight between him and Kim is really just like them going at one another. And I would say while they were both going below the belt, you know, she was calling him a loser. He was calling her a whore. You could tell it like there wasn't that much behind Kim's words. She was kind of just responding. You know, she was saying it jokingly, whereas for Rob, I felt there was so much anger behind what he was saying. And he even says in his confessional, like every time someone calls me a loser, I feel like I'm going to explode. And at this point, I'm just throwing out whatever I can just to hurt her. Well, what really sets Rob off here is that Kim isn't saying this to his face in the moment during this fight. She's saying it to Chris behind Rob's back and Rob overhears. And so obviously Rob's anger is then escalated, not just by the fact that Kim is hitting him in all of these really sensitive spots, but also that Kim is saying these things behind his back, not even to his face. And so this fight just really escalates. But what you see here is the understanding of the two different camps and the way Rob is being viewed at this point in time, where 
Kim and Courtney, I don't know about Chloe, but definitely Kim and Courtney the most are really seeing this side of Rob that's just lazy, not motivated, doesn't know what he wants to do and doesn't have that same drive as the rest of the family. Whereas Chris is starting to really understand that this isn't just, you know, 24 year old boy who doesn't know what he wants to do. Rob's really struggling right now. Rob's really hurting and there's a much larger issue at hand. And so what starts to happen is those two conflicting things, the exact same way the family's conflicting is also what's conflicting inside of Rob where he doesn't really know what's going on. And you see him contradict himself throughout this fight with Kim, where he says, you know, I don't want to be on vacation. I don't want to be some loser on vacation who, when I don't have anything going on back at home, my dad would have never allowed that. He would have never allowed me to do this. And everyone else was kind of sitting there being like, yeah, but it's on you to make this happen where Rob couldn't accept that responsibility yet because he was so conflicted inside about what was even causing this. Right. I mean, there is so much here. I'm really trying to organize my thoughts because there's the entire grief element, which cannot be ignored and I really want to talk about. But I just want to make a side point for a second. And we see this come up a little bit more in his conversation with Chris. But I think something we really need to acknowledge here is like, yes, Rob is at a very pivotal time in his life. He's 24 years old, trying to figure it all out. But also the Kardashians as a family, as an empire, are at a very pivotal moment in the trajectory of their careers. And so it's kind of a strange spot for Rob because yes, he's involved, but in some ways he's also like a bystander to the success his sisters are having. And I think for him, it's like he's reorienting himself around this new reality. And in his conversation with Chris a little bit later on, you know, she says like, I'm sorry that your sisters are doing something that you're not doing. And again, it's not that he wanted to be doing that. He wasn't trying to do a Skechers ad with Kim. He wasn't trying to do those types of appearances. But I think in a way, it was like this very abrupt kind of realization that like, They've kind of have it figured out and they're clearly on a path where they're going to make a lot of money. And I think that he felt a little bit almost left in the dust by that. Yeah, I think Rob felt very left behind. I think that he was feeling the sense of if my dad was here, me and him would be on one path and the rest of the family would be on this other path that they're on. And he didn't have his dad as that point person to guide him into the areas that he thought that he was going to be interested in business or law. He was looking at his sisters and even Caitlin who had moved towards that entertainment space. And it wasn't what Rob wanted to necessarily do, even though Rob wasn't hundred percent sure what he wanted to do. I think he knew it wasn't really that. And so when the whole family is on one side and he's just looking for somebody to guide him in a different direction. And that person that he knows would have isn't there. That was really a reflection of, of what was going on for him. It was like, it wasn't just like, I know my dad wouldn't let me get away with this. It's like, um, I don't even know how to do it without him being here. I know. And it's like, I know that he was being such a dick here, obviously. And it's so easy to be annoyed with him, but I just felt for him so much here because you could tell he just missed his dad. And like, he was what, 24 years old here. This was filmed in 2011. Like I was 23, about to be 24 when my mom died. And it's, it is just such an isolating feeling because you just want your parent. Like you just want that guiding force that's going to be there for you and welcome you with so much love and warmth and zero judgment and, you know, assure you that it's going to be okay. And of course he has a big family. He has a loving mom. He had Caitlin, but it's just different. He didn't have the person that he really wanted. And that I think in so many ways he felt, you know, he could look up to in a different way than he could look up to anyone else. And so like, again, Robert passed away in 2003. I know this is 2011, but that means nothing to me. Like whether it's eight years, eight months, it it doesn't matter. This was a guy who just clearly was fucking grieving the loss of his dad so badly. And I, you know, when he said the thing about like, my dad wouldn't want this. I, I know that he would hate this. The reason that that was so hard to watch is because it shows you that in addition to his sadness and his grief and his loneliness associated with missing his father. He also was feeling the pressure of not disappointing him, even though he's not here in this physical world. And so it wasn't just that he felt lost within himself. It wasn't that he felt disappointed within himself. It was also this immense pressure he was feeling of disappointing the only person that he actually respected entirely, you know? It was really, really difficult to watch. And I, listen, the obviously the conversation of grief can't be ignored, not just because he was clearly grieving his father so heavily in this moment and so clearly looking for his guidance, 
But also, I think the conversation about Rob and the mental health issues that he has struggled with over the years and the mental health issues you're seeing him struggle with in this moment is obviously very connected to the loss of his father. And, you know, I think that I think that the rest of the family really struggled with how to help him through this and how to help him get the help that he needed and maybe not recognize the fact that he needed help in this moment. It was very difficult to watch because obviously when you're watching Rob during these episodes, you're watching it with a certain knowledge now. You're watching having seen him go through so many different life events and so many different struggles. And now you're watching him and Bora Bora really not knowing what to do with his life and really missing his dad and really lashing out. And you're able to kind of put the pieces together. But when you're staring at each isolated incident in the moment, especially his family, you so close to them, it's not easy to get that bird's eye view of what's really going on. I don't know about you guys, but I am one of those people where every year on Daylight Savings, having that extra hour of light in the evening just like completely transforms my mood. I feel like I am not me when it gets dark at 4 p.m. And obviously the flip side of that is that first morning after springing forward can be rough. So I want to tell you about something that can make it so much easier, so much more enjoyable. It's called Hatch. And Hatch can help you choose sleep, prioritize healthy habits, and then also make the time change transition seamless and enjoyable. So the Hatch Restore helps you build sleep habits that make your unwind and wake routines simple and enjoyable. So a phone-free bedtime, no matter what time of year it is, which again, is really a habit I'm trying to change this year. And this has very much helped it. And then with the Hatch Plus subscription, you can access the latest routine building features like Cue to Unwind, which signals you that it's time for bed, and Pillow Talk, which is kind of like your favorite shows or socials without the screen to keep you up. For me, that's like such a wonderful feature because it helps me unwind, but not in a way that feels unnatural. It's kind of like the benefit I get from scrolling my phone without scrolling my phone. And then waking up in the morning is just so much more peaceful. Like I don't think it's good to wake up to that jarring alarm sound. So to have kind of an easy wake up, I've just really enjoyed my morning so much more. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your purchase of the Hatch Restore and free shipping at hatch.co slash CBC. Visit hatch.co slash CBC to get $20 off and free shipping. Hatch.co slash CBC. Okay, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, there are two things you probably know about me. The first is that I am a diehard OG Skims fan. Like there have literally been times where we've had to pause a recording because a certain product dropped that I needed to buy. And second of all, you know, historically, I kind of just never wear a bra. So what we're talking about here is kind of merging those two things. Because listen, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm never gonna be a daily bra wear. It's just not in the cars for me, never has been, never will be. However, there's recently been more events that I've kind of had a lot of weddings and just there's sometimes you got to wear a bra. And when I tell you Skims is changing the game for me because that same comfort that I talk about with the underwear or the loungewear, they did that with the bras. And recently in the past month, I've worn the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra and the no-show balconette bra. I had to wear that one to a wedding under a dress. And like, it was the first time in my life where number one, I wasn't miserable. And second of all, I didn't come home and just like immediately want to take it off, which I'm telling you, it was a foreign concept for me. They're just so comfortable. It's like, I really felt like I was wearing nothing. I'm, I'm such a fan of everything that they make. So I guess it makes total sense that I love the bras, but like, I'm telling you, you will have the same experience. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. Definitely do that. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. To go back to the episode, so, you know, after he has this kind of blow up with Kim and Courtney and they're then venting to Chris and you see Chris really has a, a heart to heart with him and she's hysterical and she says like, I, I just want you to be happy and I don't want you to lash out. She's like, and I'm sorry that your dad isn't here and that your sisters are doing something that you're not. And like, you could tell she's just in so much pain and she's obviously realizing it at a level that the sisters aren't. And I think, of course, like, you know, Rob t- did feel so comforted by Chris, but I do think a lot of it has to do with like the career aspect of it and that he knew that Chris would be supportive of him no matter what, but he also felt, I think, I don't know, there's like a lot of words to put in someone's mouth, but I almost feel like he had this feeling of, yeah, but I lost her too. Like she's, she's, she's on that path now too, you know? And 
he he just like didn't want to be on that path. And you could see it's like he didn't know what else to do. And it seems like the easiest path, but it, uh, I don't know. It's so overwhelming. This was so hard to watch. Like the scene with Chris really broke my heart. And I was just thinking like, there's been so much with Rob over the years. Like so many conversations that have occurred in front of the public eye about Rob being a loser, Rob not having any motivation, Rob not knowing what to do with his life, Rob needing to get out of Chloe's guest house, Rob living off the rest of the family, Rob mooching off of everyone, Rob in China, Rob, whatever it is. It was a lot of different things. And I just in this moment was watching the way Chris was breaking down, not really knowing what to do with Rob and realizing like no one knew how to help him. Like this wasn't something that could just be solved by snapping your fingers and telling Rob to get his life together. Like this was a much deeper issue. And the struggle that Chris was having as a mother, watching her son struggle and not knowing the best way to approach it just broke my heart because, you know, it's really easy to say as an outsider what to do in that moment. And that's what you were seeing Chris Humphreys doing, saying to Chris, you know, uh, do you mind if I put hands on your son? Like, you know what you need to do? You need to give him tough love. You need to kick him out on his ass out of Chloe's house and let him figure it out. But that's not what Rob needed. Rob was really, really struggling and no one knew what was best for Rob in this moment. And Rob didn't know what was best for Rob in this moment. And so all of those conversations that the family is eventually going to have about what to do with Rob, I'm just looking at this moment going like, no one knows what's best for him. How do you help somebody in this in this moment like this? No one knows what the right thing to do is. And I just, I felt so upset for Rob and I felt so upset on behalf of Chris because that struggle of what to do about your child is like so deep and painful to watch. Right. And I think on top of it, just the fact that that very conversation was happening, like the idea of quote, what to do about Rob, that in and of itself is very troubling for the person that's being talked about. Because even though people are coming at it from the angle of true support and love, you still feel like you are this like problem that is needed to be dealt with. I I remember having this one conversation with my therapist where I said like, I feel like I'm having a failure to launch. I forget when it was. It was at some, you know, transition time in my life. And I was expressing to her, like the the fact that I could tell these conversations were happening around me, you know, like hearing my parents say something to their friends about like, and what are we going to do? Like it it makes you feel almost as like you're in a glass box, but I think is, even though, you know, it's coming from a place of love can actually almost worsen the situation. Cause then it feels like the pressure is on kind of. Yeah. And I think it's really difficult when you yourself don't know, and everyone else is kind of looking at you And this is what was clearly happening with Rob, where everyone was looking at him saying, what are you going to do? And he was looking at everyone else saying, what am I going to do? And so when no one knows what's going on here, and then you take on top of that, the fact that this was for Rob more than just an issue of motivation, more than just an issue of not knowing, this was really deep stuff that was going on. It, It creates a real problem that needed to be solved very delicately. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy to do for anybody, let alone doing it in front of the entire world. No, totally. And then on top of it, which I know is the least significant in terms of this whole conversation, but just to center it back to the episode and to get into the next theme, you have Chris Humphreys walking in like as though he knows the exact way to handle it, which then turns into a conversation Kim needs to have with him of like, listen, I know you love me and are being protective over me and are not thrilled with the way that Rob's acting, but like, this is my brother. And I thought that it was interesting that Courtney had to be the one to say to Kim, I know that Chris is coming from a place of loving you and being protective over you, but like, you basically got to tell him to chill. Let's all do a mental exercise. Think of the literal lowest moment of your life. Like really envision yourself there. And then imagine Chris Humphreys trying to give you advice in that moment. No, I I was ready to kill him. But like, but that just goes to show how blinded Kim was by this whole thing. Because like, to me, Chris Humphreys in this moment, not only was overstepping regardless of who he was, but overstepping in a way where I would have been like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are coming in and telling my mom what she needs to do about her son? Who do you think you are telling Courtney about the Ferber method? Like to me, I'm watching Chris in this episode and here's how I, where I felt like I was going crazy with everything is I'm watching Chris in this episode. And I actually think out of all three of the episodes, he's the most annoying in this one because like he's really getting involved where he doesn't belong. He's really giving like unwarranted advice and 
as he's doing this, everybody else is starting to come around on Chris. And I'm like, wait a second. Come around on Chris a few episodes ago, fine, when he's roughhousing and being a little annoying. Like, we can all get over that. But now he's messing with your family dynamics and giving you as a parent advice. And we're supposed to be like, yeah, well, Chris Humphreys really isn't that bad. I went to this trip on Sure. And now, you know what? I really think he's a good guy. Like, wait, are we all watching the same thing? No, I fully felt like I was being gaslit this episode. And it wasn't even by Chris Jenner because she was so aligned with Kim on this track. She wanted her to go down of marriage and kids that I didn't even trust her view entirely. It was more so Courtney. I felt like Courtney was the most trustworthy narrator we had in this entire Chris Humphrey saga because she wasn't going to sugarcoat anything. We know that she's hands down the most easily annoyed Kardashian. Yet somehow she was leaving this trip actually liking him more than she expected, which my thought was like, all right, well, you go home and tell Chloe that and let's see how she reacts. But honestly, aside from Chris Humphreys for a second, something I was really picking up on here, not just in this episode, but generally speaking, I guess, Bora Bora and this time in their lives, Kim really valued Courtney's advice here. Like there were so many times throughout this episode where you could tell Courtney was so clearly the older sister and Kim really listened to her. Kim really you know, appreciated her input and her perspective in a way where now, not to say that she maybe doesn't value her advice. I mean, I don't think she does, but like, I don't think she'd ever go to her for advice. It was like, I don't know, for some reason, it was so strange to me to witness Kim sitting there taking in what Courtney was saying, knowing that she's handling it right. Whereas like, I don't think Kim would want to handle anything in the way that Courtney handles it now. I feel like her entire perception of, of Courtney's approach to things is changed. You know, yes and no, because When Kim and Pete were dating and she was talking about the timeline of, you know, when to introduce him to the family, when to introduce him to the kids, all of these different steps that she was taking for the first time as somebody who was dating after her divorce, she really looked at Courtney as a parent in dealing with those things and really said, you know, multiple times, like, my big joke with Courtney is that she goes through something first and then I go through it after. And so I do still think that there's that piece of Kim that she holds on to as like the little sister of Courtney. And what I was picking up on here and what I'm picking up on in those scenes where it's just Kim and Courtney talking about parenting advice, talking about what to do following a very long relationship with kids is that when Chloe's not there, the whole dynamic changes. I don't know. Like, I'm really trying to think about it. You make a great point with the Pete Davidson thing in terms of, you know, Kim saying that Courtney kind of paved the way for her and the introducing him to the kids and all that stuff. That's a great point. I think also just in fairness, Courtney's like literally the only one that has ever had that experience in the family. It's not like she even could go to anyone else. You know what I mean? Like, whereas if someone else did, I think she maybe would have gone to them. But I don't know. Just generally, there was like, I don't know if it, it was an admiration to, there was just something different. I mean, a lot of things different, but I'm trying to pinpoint exactly what it was. To me, it was just like a difference in the way that Kim views herself in comparison to Courtney is maybe the way to put it. You know what it was, I think? I think that when it's Kim going to Courtney for something, that dynamic still exists. But I think what it is now is that Courtney could never give Kim unsolicited advice without Kim then being upset about that and feeling that it was unwarranted. Whereas here, Courtney was saying, you know, Kim, like, Chris shouldn't get involved in these family dynamics. It's a little soon for that. This isn't right for Chris to butt his head into. This is something between us. And Kim really took that, didn't fight back at all, went back to Chris and said, you know, I was talking to Courtney about this and she brought this up. And I think she's right. Whereas now, if this were to happen, Kim could totally go to Courtney and say, you know, I'm having this issue with, you know, moving on after Kanye in terms of the kids. How did you do this? Whereas if Courtney was standing somewhere and saw the way Kim was handling something and went over to Kim and was like, you should do this, Kim would freak out. That's what it is. That is exactly what it is. I think it's the unsolicited nature of this advice and then Kim's willingness to receive that. Whereas now that type of unsolicited advice I think would be met with so much annoyance from Kim. And I think for her, she would feel that it was fitting into the exact pattern of Courtney's judgmental nature that she has you know, built in her head. That's what it is too, is that the delivery between the way that Courtney is speaking to Kim here and the way that Courtney would speak to Kim now is totally different. When Courtney is giving Kim or even Chloe unsolicited advice now, there's always a tone of judgment with it. Whereas here, that didn't exist at all. Courtney was just coming to Kim as a sister and you could clearly see the difference in the dynamic just purely in the way that 
Courtney was speaking to Kim. And I also think that when Courtney and Scott were together, something that I noticed that we can get into as we get into the fight between Courtney and Scott is that Courtney kept, um, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Courtney kept like pushing her boundaries. Like she would say, you know, Scott knows what he needs to do. But when Scott would mess up, her boundary for that would get a little bit more accepting and a little bit more accepting. And he kept kind of beating that down. And I think that there was such a lack of judgment towards Kim and towards other people because she wasn't standing her ground as firm as she wanted to. And so she had no right to put that onto other people. I think once her relationship with Scott ended, it was like, wow, I put myself through some bullshit. I will never do it again. And if anybody else does that too, I'm not going to allow them to, which then comes off with a tone of judgment where I don't actually think that's what Courtney intends on doing. I feel like makeup in general and specifically a daily makeup routine is so personal and that we've all kind of gotten down to a science, what works for us, what we need before we leave the house, like where do we feel our most comfortable? And for me on a daily basis, I wear really, really minimal makeup. I actually think I feel the most comfortable with the least amount of makeup, but my two Holy Grail products always have been, I think always will be are mascara and lip gloss, maybe a little highlight on the inner corner if I'm feeling crazy, but Honestly, whether you are fresh face, full glam, wherever you fall, you have probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. It's the one in that turquoise tube that you see all over social media. So Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademark formulas, and uncompromising standards. They have a lot of great products, but the one I want to focus on is the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. First of all, it lasts all day without clumping, smudging, or flaking, which I'm telling you right now, I have a zero tolerance policy for flaking with my mascara. Like I'm just not trying to put you on my lashes if you're going to flake. And they have a flake-free tubing formula that dramatically lengthens and defines your lashes from root to tip. So it kind of looks like lash extensions without the damaging glue or salon prices. Also super easy removal, slides right off with warm water and a washcloth, no soap required. And it has nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's just like very much worth the hype. I had seen it a lot. And once I tried it, I was like, oh, okay, this is why I see it everywhere. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 20% off your first order. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. This episode is prime example of like, you are rooting so hard for Scott. You want him to succeed. You see that in some ways he's making steps in the right direction. And then he pulls some shit where you're like, I cannot keep defending you. Like, why are you as Scott Disick bringing your vodka partners on the Kardashians family trip to do business? Scott and Bora Bora was like, when you and I, pre-Courtney and Travis, were like fighting for our lives, wanting Courtney and Scott back together, in these moments of Bora Bora, I was like, oh, that's why everyone thought that we were crazy. Like, oh, that's why they could never get back together or work out. Like, he's kind of the fucking worst. Yeah. I mean, this guy's got some balls. Let's not forget, by the way, a few years down the line, he's bringing a girl to the family's trip to Costa Rica. Remember that? 
I just saw that clip recently. I have to say, when I look at Scott, though, I have such a similar Rob reaction where, like, I know too much. Like, I have seen every single thing that Scott is going to go through. And so even in these moments where I'm like, you are a full-fledged gaslighter manipulator. I want Courtney out of this immediately. I then think about, like, you know, the scene of Kardashians where Scott is sitting with Chloe, Kim, Chris, and Courtney crying about his addiction and crying about the fact that if he didn't have his kids, he probably, you know, wouldn't be here still. I remember the episode where Scott is on television. I sent you this clip because I saw it on TikTok the other day. On television, so drunk, chugging a bottle of wine, wanting to go to a club. And Malik is saying to him, well, it's 11 a.m. So we can't go to a club. Like we have so seen it all with Scott. We're like, even in these moments where I'm like, God, you're the fucking worst. I still can't help but root for you because I know what you are going to go through and I know the way you're going to come out on the other end. I know. And that's the same thing with this entire family. We have what I would call an overwhelming amount of context. Like for any interaction you see, you immediately can think of just a million others that back up or explain, not necessarily justify, but just explain the behavior. It's like really... It's a lot. I mean, you know, this episode basically what happens is he brings these business partners. Courtney finds out they're business partners for a vodka company, which she's not at all down for. They, of course, have that whole back and forth about him drinking. And it really comes to a head at the most when they go to a dinner on another island. They take the boat there. At dinner, Scott gets into a fight at the table and he leaves. So when they then finish dinner and go to leave, they have to wait like 15 or so minutes for the boat because Scott took the boat back to his hotel room. So they all lose it. And when Courtney gets back, that's when her and Scott really, really get into it. I mean, listen, what Scott does an excellent job of, and I don't mean excellent as a compliment, is really presenting his case in a way where you almost can't fight with him. So like, for example, in this argument where he leaves and he leaves them stranded, even though it's only 15 minutes, it's not like they know how long the boat is going to take to come back. It's not like they have any reference of where Scott is or where he went. But in this moment, during the fight in the aftermath, he says to Courtney, you know, my anger management therapist told me that if I felt like I was getting to that place, I needed to remove myself from the situation. And that's exactly what I did. And so he keeps padding his fuck ups with the things that he's supposed to do. So when Courtney's getting mad at him for drinking and Courtney's clearly saying to him, like, I do not feel comfortable with this. He's throwing it back in her face saying, I am a responsible father. I'm a responsible dad. I'm a responsible partner. If I want to have a little bit of fun, I should be allowed to do that without you making me feel like I'm some caged animal. And so every single fight that they get into, Scott so perfects the ability to throw it back into Courtney's face and attempt to make her feel like the one that's doing something wrong when it is so clearly him. Okay. Yes, 1 million percent it was so clearly him and there's no defense that can be made to show that it's not. At the same time though, because I think it's worth mentioning, in this episode, it was so evident just their inability to communicate during these situations and the way in which they would interact with one another, how it really escalated the situation. Like, Courtney has this real, like, inherent dismissiveness about her, even when she's upset. It, it never, I'm trying to like describe this. It's like, even at her most pissed or most annoyed, if you were choosing, you would say that it came from more of a place of dismissiveness than from passion, whether or not that was the case. That was just always the way that she portrayed it. And it was like definitely not something Scott responded well to. So they really had no ability to productively handle these moments. And it only escalated and like made the situation so much worse. Yes. The dismissiveness is so key because I, I listen again. I keep going back to the point. Scott is objectively wrong here. Like Scott is objectively doing the wrong thing. He is on this family vacation. He is bringing uh, his business partners out to Bora Bora to meet with them. And at the same time, as if that wasn't wrong enough, they're also a vodka company. And so Scott knows the lengths that Courtney has to go to, to defend Scott to the rest of the family, how this is a constant battle for her. It's not just his battle to take on. And so what he's going to do is then drink around the family and blatantly show the fact that he's investing in a vodka company in front of them, causing Courtney to have to defend him more. Like he just creates these scenarios for himself and for Courtney. But what happens with the dismissiveness is that Scott gets to the point where he 
wants to fight it out. Whether or not that's a good thing, he wants to have that argument. He wants to fully talk it out. And Courtney kind of says the same thing over and over again, which is just like, well, you know what you need to do. Like, you know what it is. And then kind of leaves it at that. And when they have that big blow fight after dinner, Scott starts to like get really upset and starts to explain himself or starts to get annoyed and angry and really wants to hash it out. And Courtney's just like, okay, well, I'm walking away, which drives Scott crazy. And so all of their fights can be summed up in the fact that Scott is doing the wrong thing. Scott is trying to explain why he thinks he's not doing the wrong thing or really like does genuinely want to get to a point of resolve. And Courtney just won't give it to him. Courtney won't give him an inch. And every single one of their fights escalate as a result of that. Yes. And then remember last week we were talking about how there's this very real thing happening that I I don't know if they put a name to it at the time where like as much as Scott was so happy to have a child and he loved Mason more than anything, there was a real jealousy element there. You know, Mason was sleeping in bed with them every night. I think he felt that he was not getting the same attention that he used to. Like all of those things were very real and you saw it pop out. But especially during this fight when they came back from dinner and she says he's being selfish, you know, he says, no, he's not. And, and she kind of says something like, I'm doing what's best for me and Mason, to which he responds, well, how how is that not selfish? You know, how are you not doing what's best for us as a family kind of thing? And it's like those little moments that really bring to the surface, I think, a lot of what Scott was struggling with internally, which is like really not knowing how to fit into this new role where he wasn't Courtney's number one priority. And by the way, he was never again going to be because her kids were always going to come first. I mean, and then when you really put it like that, you can see that there's clearly a part of Scott that's almost acting out for attention. Like totally. he never really processed negative versus positive attention. And so he's looking to get it any way he can, which is just they were just not right for each other at this point in time. And what's unfortunate about it is that they're either the worst for each other that they could possibly be, the exact opposite, cannot find a common ground, cannot communicate effectively, cannot get on the same page, or they are having the most fun. They are exactly alike. They're joking, calling each other a loser, really, you know, have the same sense of humor, really on the same page about what they want with their family, with Mason, with it being the three of them. And so every single scene is almost like a confliction between are they at their worst point or are they at their best for each other? And like there was very, very little in between. I know, but I'm going to tell you right now, looking back, even at their best, and I know we go back and forth on this, even at their best, it was a no. There was too much there. It was it was never going to work. We were so goddamn naive. The, the, the thing is, and the reason that we really hold on to their best is because their best was when they were broken up. Their best when they really could have made it as a couple or when it seemed like they really had it figured out or they really were getting along and they really were on the same page in everything they were doing was when they were no longer together. That's when they were their nicest to each other. That's when Scott was on his best behavior. Scott had kind of really worked through things. And so in retrospect, I really do understand why we were fighting for them to get back together. It's because you kind of got rid of all of the worst parts of Scott and he zoned in all of the things that were the reasons that they got along. But yeah, it was just never going to work. And there was just too much trauma there to ever be able to see past it. And I think that once, as we've had this conversation a million times, once Courtney and Travis got together, that was the moment that it clicked of like, oh my God, that's what it was with Scott. Like that's the behavior that I was allowing. That's the boundaries that I kept resetting and resetting every single day to make it work. And even in, even though they had broken up for a significant period of time before she had gotten with Travis, I think that that idea of getting back with Scott became so completely obsolete because it was the first time she was able to really see that relationship for what it was. Right. And also for us, you know, yes, we saw them getting along so much better than they ever had. And it seemed, forget about civil and calm. It seemed great. It seemed so joyful. But of course, what's the thing there that was allowing it? The fact that they weren't together, because for whatever reason, they could never be fully successful romantic partners. And that's why it's true. I mean, not not that I think now is the best, because I think that their relationship has totally changed. But you're right. Like, right before Travis that kind of was the best. And that was the best we were ever going to get. Our issue was thinking that that would be able to maintain itself if they were to get back together. What's unfortunate though, is that it wasn't able to maintain itself in her new relationship. And I think that the reason that we will always hold on to that piece of like, 
wanting Courtney and Scott to at least be friends is because at the very least, they did have this really special friendship. I mean, listen, if you're looking at Courtney during these episodes, during this time, during Bora Bora, like had Travis Barker come into the picture, it's not like anything would have ever happened between the two of them, even if Courtney was single. That's not who Courtney was at the time. This version of Courtney that's with Travis, who were like, oh my God, they're so aligned and they're so exactly alike. That's a different version of Courtney than we know now. The version of Courtney that we are watching at this time is so aligned with Scott on at least a friendship level. Relationship-wise, it just wasn't right. But they did have a bond, and I think that's what we were picking up on in terms of present day, of wanting them to at least be friends. Like, even as of yesterday, Courtney had posted this picture of her in Vegas with this whole caption, which was uh, – a quote or a nod to fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And Chloe commented and said, I have no idea what this caption means, but I love your hair with a side flip. And Scott replied to Chloe's comment, which was on Courtney's page saying fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And I had this moment of like, oh, maybe they finally got into a place where they're friends. Like Scott clearly feels comfortable replying to Chloe's comment on Courtney's picture. Like maybe there's some sort of normalcy that we're returning to. And even the thought of them just being friends is so exciting to me. Like embarrassingly excited, Julie. The reaction that I had to that comment, not the comment itself, but to me what it signaled was like overwhelming. And it was because, I don't know, six or so months ago, Scott would have never felt comfortable enough to comment on Courtney's Instagram like that. You know, like I I really feel at least my view of it was that like he was in a perpetual state of eggshells around her, around Travis. He didn't know how to deal with it. I felt like he was crawling out of his own skin. And so clearly the fact that they've gotten to the point where like that's a totally normal kosher thing to do and he's not even second guessing it enough to not comment, that speaks volumes to me, which I know it feels like the bars on the fucking floor. But for a little while, I do think it was that touch and go there. I can tell you that the last time I'm 99% sure because I think we would have caught it if it wasn't. The last time that Scott commented on Courtney's Instagram is when Courtney posted a picture of Penelope, a share from Clueless. And Scott commented, oh, Cher, don't forget she can't keep driving her Jeep without her driver's license. And we captioned it, absolutely love to see it. That was November 2nd, 2021 on my birthday. And that was like a very big deal that he had commented that. And I'm pretty sure that was the last time that he had commented on one of Courtney's posts. And even in this one that we're discussing, which is so ridiculous because it's not even a comment on Courtney's post. It's a reply to Chloe on Courtney's post. I'm still as excited as I was when we posted that one comment two years ago. I was giddy. Like, obviously, I knew we couldn't solo that. Like, that is not a solo. But like, if you and Isabel were like, should we? I could have been convinced. If you guys weren't in like the trenches with the Vanderpump episode, I think I would have fought for it to be a solo. But it just like wasn't there was too much going on at the time. And I was happy to throw it in a roundup because that was probably the right decision. Yeah, it was like definitely the right decision. But also like, yeah, if we were a little high, I thousand percent. If we were together when that comma came through and like we had just taken an edible and it was starting to hit, I totally could have seen us being like, okay, I will add it to the roundup album. And then like 10 minutes later, looking at each other and being like, you want a solo? Not Tom Sandoval cheating with Raquel to Scott not getting a solo post pipeline. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. A situation like that is when we have those realizations of like, wait, we, we don't have to report to anyone. Like, you know, we can. Like, I love when we have the realization of like, we can just fuck around and find out. Like, we're not going to get in trouble. No, when we remember that, like, it's it's just the three of us and like, that's it. Like, there's no other account of it. It's almost like scary. Like, I almost have to pretend that there's somebody above us for like the sake of like, not fucking around and finding out too often. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just, But I think that really comes into play, though, when we like, want to make a caption something that like is objectively hilarious if like you're us or like understand our inside jokes and maybe even I I would go as far as to say like a lot of the podcast listeners at this point but like to your average person that's following the page they wouldn't know that we were making a caption that needs to be read in my dad's accent but we forget that sometimes (laughs) you know your dad's accent you're right we definitely can't caption that but I do think that we could lean into a little bit more with like a niche not super niche, but a more niche nod. Because I think sometimes when we're putting up a caption and we're putting up a post, we're like, well, most people won't get it. But I think that if like we cater to the percentage of people that will find it overwhelmingly hilarious, then like, let's lean in a little bit more. Why not? We have nobody to report to, remember? Yeah, (laughs) I remember. Yeah, we could lean in a little more. I'm down for that. 
when on the hunt for a new apartment, we obviously all have things that are kind of non-negotiables for us. I would say for me, top of that list is probably natural light. Just because I know myself, I know I'm more productive throughout the day. I'm honestly just happier throughout the day when I'm getting a lot of natural light. And it's important to know what you want and then really to be able to get that. You know, this is your space that you're living in. So apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all your specific unique boxes. So first of all, they have 3D virtual tours. So when you can't be there in person, you can take a tour of your possible future home, which is huge because it's one thing for someone to send you photos or to tell you about it, but really to be able to do kind of a virtual walkthrough to me is huge. Also, apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, and they have amenity filters, so you can make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need, whether that's in-unit washer-dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. For me, in my next place, in-unit washer-dryer is like hands down, very, very high. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Okay, so really the way this episode concludes is, of course, the vow renewal ceremony where Caitlin gifts Chris this rock of a ring. I forgot how big that ring was. Oh, my God. That really took my breath away. Where is that ring? I don't know, but we got to find it. And, of course, we then have Chris Humphreys taking Kim on this romantic sailboat. They're saying, I love you. It's like the whole thing is out of a movie, and you really can't believe, again, that this is Kim Kardashian as we know her today. We then had them leaving Bora Bora. Again, what I said earlier about you know them all saying that they actually enjoyed Chris more than they expected to. And then, again, the most seamless transition into next week's episode where Chris Humphreys goes golfing with Caitlin and on the course asks her her permission to marry Kim. You know what part of this episode really took me out? The aftermath of Courtney and Scott's fight from the night before when you know, he leaves everybody stranded with the boat and they're still mad at each other the next morning. And Scott's kind of trying to move past. He's like, oh, I just want to go swimming with everybody. Like, come on, doll. And she's like, you're such a loser. Like, don't wake up Mason. Like, she's really like going in on him because she's obviously still upset about like everything that Scott has done wrong. And Chris Humphreys comes in and is like, yeah, what's all that about? And Courtney like goes in and starts to explain. It's like, you know, Scott just hates it when I call it a loser. So I keep doing it because he's so annoying, whatever. And Chris defends Scott and Courtney has this moment of like, you know, I really decided that I'm a fan of Chris Humphreys because he couldn't say anything negative about Scott. And it's like, that's what's going to make you do it. Scott is objectively wrong. Chris won't say a negative word about him. And then you're going to switch your entire opinion of Chris Humphreys for defending the person who's objectively wrong in this situation. And it's not that I thought that that was a wrong thing for Chris to do. I appreciated Chris in that moment, but If I'm looking at Courtney and I want Courtney to stay true to who she is, Chloe would have never let that fly. I know. I was like, wow, you switch up real fast. And we were just saying, yeah, I know. And she's so consistent. That was that was very funny. It was also, though, funny when Chris was like, what was that about? And she's like, well, he hates when I call him a loser. And Chris like, oh, so you call him a loser specifically because you know that he hates it? (laughs) Like, I did appreciate that little call out because it does go into what we were saying earlier of like, you know, again, it is not Courtney's fault. However, she does rile him up and, and a lot of times intentionally. If I liked Chris more, like if Chris Humphreys was still in the picture, if Chris Humphreys was Kim's husband right now and we loved him, that would have been a moment that I would have pointed to and been like, yeah, I really appreciated Chris in that moment. Like standing up for Scott, really standing by like his new brother-in-law and like really it made him like a part of the family. But because it's Chris Humphreys, I'm like, what the fuck were you doing defending Scott? I know. Do you know how like much all you've... of a sudden Scott like like all of a sudden Scott has to fall victim to the fact that I hate Chris Humphrey so much. Like I'm Scott's biggest ride or die, and now all of a sudden I'm like fuck Scott Disick. That's what I'm saying. Like honestly, you got to hand it to Chris. That's some power. 
Oh my God. And then at the airport, everyone's like, ah, oh. when, when Chris says to Kim, Chris Jenner, I, and by the way, that was never going to work out. Like even for the two of us recapping what two seasons max of having to have a distinction between the two Chris's, like, I'm sorry, I could not have done that for the rest of my life. Thank you for getting divorced after 72 days because I, no, I, I did not sign up for that bullshit. But anyways, when Chris Jenner and Kim are in the airport and Chris is like, Kim, I got to hand it to you this time. You really found a good one. Like he, he's a great guy. I'm like, okay, first of all, relax. It's been a week. Like you literally have known him for a week and now everybody's signing off on this. I'm like, we have all gone crazy. Like I, I cannot rationally watch you guys be so irrational right now. I know. And then when, when Kim's like, I've known that a long time ago, honey. I'm like, all right. Just what, a month? Oh my God. This is such a trip. It feels like a fucking fever dream. You know what I can't get over either? One last thing is that everybody loved Chris because he made Kim fun. It's like, oh, Chris keeps bringing out the best side of Kim. Like Kim is so like airy and like carefree and doesn't take things so seriously when Chris is around. Like we love Chris for that. Like that was not a reflection of Chris Humphreys. That was just the fact that like there was an aspect of Kim's personality that everybody wanted to change and he happened to be a catalyst for that. Like that had way more to do with Kim than it ever had to do with Chris being the right person for her, quote unquote. <laughs> I know. Like, if I was Kim, I would have been severely offended by that entire conversation. I was about to say, if you're Kim, that's like deeply offensive, no? Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's like, you're like, oh, we love when Kim is fun. Like Chris makes Kim fun. It's like, okay, if that's the biggest, nicest thing that we can say about Chris, then like Kim needs to work on some stuff herself and like let Chris go. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, well, I'm happy to be out of Bora Bora. I just, I, I loved it. I No, I, here's my thing. Loved it, had the time of my life, but like we were getting to a few more days. They were going to start killing each other, you know? Yeah, I, you're right. I obviously, it was the best vacation of my life. I had so much fun, but I do feel that feeling of being done with Bora Bora has the exact same energy as like physically walking out of JFK when you get back from vacation and it's a little bit cold and you can almost appreciate it. Mm -hmm. A great analogy. Great fucking analogy. Yes, we have just walked out of JFK and it's like not freezing, but you know, a nice little chill in the air. Yeah, like you're home. Like you're upset. Yeah. There's, a, there's a sadness there, but- it's the right thing, all in all. Back in Calabasas. I've never been mad to be back in Calabasas, have you? Never. Never. Okay, we love you guys. We will see you next week. Anything else you would like to mention? I think that's it, Kat. Okay, well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we'll see you next time. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.